Welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. We're your hosts. I'm Sarah, and I'm here today with Jen and Ashley. This is Ashley. We'll chat about our Unabridged Book Club's pick of the month, recommend related books, and share our nerdy English teacher love of reading with our Unabridged highlights and with short episodes featuring targeted topics. To follow along with our schedule, visit our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hello, everyone. We want to welcome you to our episode today. Um, before we even talk about anything about it, though, we want to remind you that we would love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It helps us so much. You have no idea. So if you could do that for us, um, we would really, really appreciate it. Um, today's episode is a little bit different from what we've done before. This time for our book club, we actually picked two books to discuss and people could either pick one or the other or read both. Um, obviously, we we all read both. <laughs> um, so the two books that we picked are Dope Sick by Beth Macy and Hey Kiddo by Jarrett Krasoska. And we are going to first um, discuss Dope Sick. And what we wanted to say about that is that we actually had the unique opportunity to go to the Virginia Book Festival um, and actually see Beth Macy, the author, and Jarrett Krasoska. Krasoska, sorry, <laughs> um, speak about the books that we discussed. And we picked them not knowing that we were going to get that opportunity, but it was a really unique experience for us to be able to see the authors talk about their work. And um, it's such an, imp- both cover such an important topic. So we felt really fortunate. So we may sprinkle in some things that the authors said in this discussion, but in the future, we will actually be having um, a full discussion on what we learned and got to see at the Virginia Book Festival because we are also going to get to see some other authors. Um, So let's get started. Dope Sick is, um, again, a book by Beth Macy. It grew out of some reporting she did for the Roanoke Times. She first wrote um, several pieces in that paper, um, but then felt that it was just uh, that the opioid epidemic in especially in Appalachia, um, was this huge problem. And she decided to write this book based off of her reporting. Um, and it really, that's what it is. It's about, um, the, the opioid epidemic and how drug companies have contributed, um, what is happening with addiction and dealers. And I mean, it just covers a broad scope of the whole epidemic. And it is, um, at least for me, was a eye-opening read. So um, we're going to get started with our discussion. There is so much to discuss, so we may not get to every single thing in the book, but we are going to try our best. So I guess I'll, we'll start off today, just like we start off every episode. <laughs> what do you guys think about mm-hmm. this book? Jen's, Jen's going to start. <laughs> we, like Sarah said, we definitely have a lot to say about this. It's just a... Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I thought that Dipsick, it's one of those nonfiction books that I won't say it reads like a novel because it's so dense with information. Um, yeah, that it, it's very fact heavy. But I think it is super readable because what Beth Macy does so well is both illuminate the facts of the issue, but also focus on the people who are impacted by them. So while... Um, 
while she's kind of explaining the system, the systemic problems that have created the opioid crisis, she talks about the moms who um, had to watch their children become addicted or die from opioids. She talks about the police officers who are trying to combat it in small towns where they've never dealt like anything like that before. And so that's what it was so powerful for me was the pairing of really information that I found to be quite startling um, and those those individual stories. So I just, yeah, I picked up one of her other books as soon as I finished this one because I, I thought her writing is so strong and she just knows how to uncover an epidemic in a way that makes you feel the numbers and the people. Yeah, I um, I completely agree. I felt like I just feel like she it is an expose of mm-hmm. how um, big companies, big pharmacy companies um, have made possible, along with um, some well-intentioned things like the um, pain measurement mm-hmm. as the fifth sign of um of health. And I think, you know, that was a well-intentioned thing, but I think she does a great job of showing how those phenomena happening simultaneously Mm -hmm. resulted in this spiraling out of control and that there were some things that were unintentional, but then there was also a lot of cover-up and a lot of things that at least some people knew were happening and then didn't do anything to stop um, or, or partook in, right, um, purposefully and maliciously. Um, partook in. Um, and so I felt like she did a great job of showing all of that. Um, and I also felt like she showed how it's tra- tracked over time. Um, I thought that was really interesting, like looking at the, um, you know, she went both time, she moved forward both in time and in locations. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like that was a really interesting way to frame the story. Um, and it did make it, I think it makes it more accessible um, to people. And so it's not just like facts, but also um, it shows the people. And I mean, the the opening is just really painful. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I found it really gut-wrenching, but I thought that um, she does a great job of catching the reader um, and showing again, laying bare how dire the situation is, but then going back and um, giving it all those facts and filling in all of the um, situations. Yeah. And so I felt like that was really powerful. I think she just does a great job of making it personal, of making it real, and of helping all the people who are experiencing the book to understand um, the impact per person mm-hmm. of the crisis, but at the same time tracking these trends that I think people have to look at yeah. to see the picture. Yeah, I agree with both of you. And I think what really stuck out to me the most, and uh, both of you um, mentioned it, is the, the fact that she really gave this drug addiction and this um, crisis a face. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. um, it wasn't just drug addicts, it was Tess, and it was Spencer, and yeah. it was, I mean, like, I just felt, and I felt for the moms, you mm-hmm. know, Absolutely. And, and part of, I mean, I live very, very close to Woodstock, Virginia, and Strasburg, Virginia, and um, just knowing that this is mm-hmm. in my, this is happening in my backyard made it just all the more real, real. and um, I, I just thought it was so well-researched, and she did such a good job of showing, um, you know, the history of opioids and um, how we, di- we have not learned from past mistakes mm-hmm. and how doctors in the early 1900s were already saying that 
that you, not to use it for pain. And yet the big pharmaceutical companies were able to use opium in their in their drugs. And I just I don't know. I just thought it was really well mm-hmm. well researched. Yeah. It was really um, well. I don't know, laid out. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really, it was just really good. Mm-hmm. But, but like, again, what it really did for me was give me a face yeah. for something that had seemed distant well, from me. When you said about living so close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for us that is unique, which may not happen for readers around the country, but yeah, because we're so close to this, like my in-laws live in Woodstock. Right. And mm-hmm. so when you see, mm-hmm workplaces mentioned or people mentioned you're like oh my gosh I know that place or I know that person I mean Mm -hmm. not know but have heard of that person that's a strange feeling Mm -hmm. because again I'd heard that that this was coming to our area but Uh you hear that about a lot of things and you're like you know it's just this vague notion right and so yeah for it to be really within an hour in our backyard yeah Yeah, I mean it's crazy yeah yeah well, um, I thought we could start the discussion. I mean, because we've all we all said it about um, kind of big pharma and particularly Purdue Pharma mm-hmm. and their role in, I mean, really a targeted marketing practice to try to um, to hook people. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, I mean to me, like they are the they are the yeah. criminals. They yeah. are the villains in here. Um, yeah, so. I felt like that was the other thing that she did such a great job of showing how the victims have been villainized. Yes. And I know that that, I mean, that's been true since the war on drugs Mm -hmm. got going Mm -hmm. and this idea. I mean, so I think that the black community particularly has been hit hard on that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of the way that heroin has been dressed for way back. But I think that um, she does such a nice job of showing the contrast between how the addicts um, are treated Mm -hmm. and um, I mean, even labeled. I mean, everything about what comes with them versus the pharmaceutical companies. Right. And yeah. well, even how the dr- how drug dealers who are, you know, selling like heroin on the streets or out of their car or whatever it is, how they're treated versus how the this company is being treated, mm, who yeah. is the... Man. I mean, and I think like she does a really good job of showing that they had a like I said just a second ago, a targeted marketing campaign for these poor rural areas that were not politically significant to anyone. Mm -hmm. And they, and they had doctors who were already prescribing larger amounts of pain medicine due to the work, like coal mining and things that were done in like Lee County where is where one of the places is. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they, they targeted those places. They sent out a sales force to, target those doctors Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean yeah the daily had some great reporting the new york times podcast um had some great reporting i think it was last week about the sackler family who is behind purdue um and memos that have come to light that demonstrate that targeting Mm -hmm. and the um reporter who had was talking on the daily about this about the article mentioned that it reminded him of when um the cigarette companies when Mm -hmm. that you know everybody kind of knew it was this open secret that they were addictive but then there came this evidence that showed it and it it just he said it reminded him of that that there's just this revelation that now everyone knows that there is evidence Mm -hmm. um And so I think that's really fascinating. The other thing, um, when you were talking about the disparity between the way doctors are treated and the way drug dealers are treated, I just want to say Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness, does a great job 
talking about that systemic disparity. Um, so that's not really related to this topic, except in that part of it, but it, it really highlights that epidemic as well. Well, and when we saw them speak last night, so it was Chris McGreal was with Beth, Beth Macy, and there were some great and hard questions about mm-hmm. um, that exact phenomenon and how the doctors, particularly Chris McGreal's book, gets into um, the pill mill mm-hmm. situation and how, um, and he gives very specific examples of um, how doctors again purposely were writing hundreds of thousands he referenced one particularly who um was you know writing hundreds of thousands in prescriptions to people she'd never met um and so of course of course that is a very blatant crime um that caused a tremendous amount of damage and then you know he was just talking about how difficult it was because of the laws that Mm -hmm. are intended to protect against malpractice um and how those have caused the situation but it is i mean it's horrifying um that you know even in those situations where they knew all these things that were happening um there was really very little that Mm -hmm. the um, that law enforcement could do. Yeah. And his book is called, Chris McGrill's book is called American Overdose. Mm-hmm. We haven't read that, but we, now, we, that, now we that we've seen it, all we of us want to. Yeah. I mean, I really, yeah, he was he, great. He was a great speaker and it, and it just seems like it will really complement um, a lot of what she does with dope sick because mm-hmm. he addresses some different things, but looking at the same mm-hmm. um, phenomenon and crisis. They, yeah. I mean, I think what is so shocking is that intentionality yeah. and that yeah. they were part of building a system that enabled it to ha- not just enabled it to happen but required it to happen in some ways that they built a system built around pain as the fifth vital sign Ashley talked about that earlier um and that in order to be an effective doctor you have to get rid of pain and here's the best way to get rid of pain and that you're making money off of all of this um and so just the i mean it's so sinister yeah it's not one of those things that oh they just didn't know that it was addictive and happened to overprescribe and it, it's just the building of a system to keep it going just to perpetuate that addiction and again to target a very vulnerable group of people um it's outrageous and i mean watching i think one of the things that was most effective about seeing beth macy speak was just seeing how much it emotionally affected her yeah. because again when you think not just about the system, but about the individual people who have become victims of that system. Um, it's just heartbreaking. And so for her to have spoken to all of these people and to build relationships mm-hmm. with all of these people, which is very apparent in the book, um, again, it just makes you feel their plight so, mm-hmm. so much and their grief about not having known sooner and done something sooner. But you also can't blame them for not knowing because that has been the purpose of the system is the not knowing and the hiding and well and the shame involved yeah. because again of the labeling of addicts and the way and the and the criminalization of that mm-hmm. and the way that that is perceived as a crime um, and you know and of course a lot of the people who drug deal do it to support their own habits. Mm-hmm. Now there are exceptions to that in mm-hmm. the book and she talks about that. Yeah. Um, but regardless, the people, again, they're, they're small time compared to Purdue Pharma in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet um, they are the ones who are, you know, taking the hit and taking the huge um, 
sentences and all that stuff and I, I felt like she did so much of her book um without being preachy was so educational yeah. I mean I just felt like I learned so much I learned so much about I mean I didn't even know what dope sickness was really I mean mm-hmm. I knew people experienced withdrawal but I did not know like the way that she broke it down mm-hmm. it helped me understand a lot more um why people are so addicted yeah. to opioids and to heroin and how closely linked those are and I think that seems to be people are still hammering all that out also Mm -hmm. like those connections because um there seems to be a lot of misconception that it's just pills this Mm -hmm. idea of like it just being pills but you know she does a lot to show the connection between that Mm -hmm. and and heroin um yeah yeah I, I was the same I mean I knew that dope sickness happened but to me I pictured it um as a an effect of like rehab whereas Mm -hmm. i didn't realize that addicts are constantly using to avoid dope sickness not even necessarily to get high but more more to avoid becoming so sick yeah and that i mean that is just yeah like i think when that was laid bare to me that is a very understandable Mm -hmm. that like I mean, even kind of on an instinctive level, Mm -hmm. your body is going to try to avoid, you know, what what is going to feel like a physiological crisis. Right, Mm -hmm. right. So, yeah, I thought she did a great job of that. And then all of, I felt like I learned a lot about therapy and rehab Mm -hmm. and all the problems with that system. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, like, I feel like we touched on this a little bit, but um, the doctor's role also... um, was really interesting to me, um, their role in, you know, um, buying into the sales mm-hmm. pitches and kind of, I mean, to me, which seemed like kind of see like kickbacks and, mm-hmm. um, Meals, reward, meals and, and rewards. There was like Some the, of this was yeah. so bizarre that they would deliver, the, not just that they would take you out and feed you, but that they would deliver a meal that you could take home and feed your family. Yes. Oh, well, and the birthday part, the doctor who's yes. the doctor <laughs> somebody paying for that the birthday That was the one party. I was thinking of was the paying for the birthday party. Yeah. I mean, and I do know that those restrictions have been tightened, but I right. mean, like to, I mean, what kind of how late to the game that, mm-hmm. that occurred. Um, and... I just wondered what you all thought about just in general about the doctor's role, especially in those um, co- those marginalized communities where the drugs were kind of targeted. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really frustrating because, of course, you always think about the oath that doctors have taken to help people. Mm-hmm. I did think, again, at the Virginia Festival of the Book, McGreal and ba- Macy talked about how little training doctors get in pain management. Mm-hmm. And so I think... And because a lot of the um, training is written by the drug companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I, just, I mean, it's just a self-sustaining system, this vicious cycle that, you know, vicious circle that they're just coming around to feed into. So we don't train them when they're in medical school. So then we provide the training mm-hmm. and we make it really appealing and for them to prescribe. The money. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just horrifying. So it's both super frustrating that the doctors are falling for it, but also kind of understandable like if you feel like you have to give people something for pain and this is the thing you're being told is the right thing to give people then you some of them I think knew but some of them it feels like they were legitimately trying to help people live lives that weren't you know horrible all the time well and I think they're accountable and she touches on this some too but I mean part of what's evolved also in healthcare is um, customer satisfaction right, right. and mm-hmm. that patients should, they have to be satisfied with how they are treated. And um, because of that and that being part of the accreditation process, I feel like a lot of places have felt so much pressure mm-hmm. to make sure that above all else, 
the patient is satisfied with the treatment. I mean, I think about that. I mean, I, th- I think with all of this, like, we can all give instances in our own experiences mm-hmm. of times where um, things could have been overprescribed or were overprescribed. Right. I mean, I just think about when we take our children, and, and it's like I feel like the doctor feels that he has to um, go on and on and on about all the reasons why my child doesn't need an antibiotic mm-hmm. when I don't want my kid to be on it. Right. But I think that is because is a reaction against um, – you know, it's a reaction against so many parents coming in and saying, I need you to make it better. Mm -hmm. I need, and that is, I know that's going to do it. And that's what I want. And that's what I came to get. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I really feel that there's a sense of that. Mm -hmm. And I, and I feel like she gets to all of that in her book and just lays out, but I did love, I was thinking about what, back to your question, Sarah, um, that like Dr. Art Van Z, Mm -hmm. I mean, I loved how she showed him. Um, so, I mean, um, Sarah has it quoted here that he sounded the epidemic's first sentinel alarm from Appalachia with Sister Beth Davies. Um, and so, I mean, I feel like she does a great job of showing the heroes who have been advocating for this and have been saying this is a problem um, mm-hmm. and also showing how they've been stampeded mm-hmm. by yeah. um, larger, more powerful voices. But I did think she did a good job of showing that, the people who have tried to resist and who early on were saying this is a crisis. Yeah, I totally agree. And I thought I think, too, like often, again, addicts are the ones who are villainized in our in society. But then, I mean, I, th- I like I think what this made me do is really examine my 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 place as a consumer of medicine and Mm -hmm. consumer of all Mm -hmm. things and my responsibility now that I need to be an advocate for myself and know what I'm taking because I have to say like if I would have had an injury in 2008 if I would I had a back injury last year which um which was horrendous and if I would have and ongoing it was like a chronic pain Mm -hmm. situation and if it would have been in 2008 when I did it I probably would have taken. I mean, right. if the doctor would have prescribed it, I would have taken it because right. that because that is the professional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think too, there was a story about a um, a woman who had um, mastitis mm-hmm. for, uh, from oh, breastfeeding. Right. Yeah. And 2008, I had my son in 2008. Mm-hmm. Right. If I would have, I mean, if my OBGYN would have prescribed me something, mm-hmm. I would have taken, taken it. it. That's mm-hmm. and I, that's what I think she does so well. Yeah. Is making it easy for the reader to understand yes. how it could be any one mm-hmm. of us yeah mm-hmm. and I think that's what's really powerful because I mean she also made it clear she gave examples of where it was like you know I mean I mean for kids yeah. or like teenagers mm-hmm. with an injury where they were supposed to take 10 days of something or 30 right. days or something but then when they go back and they're still in pain then they up the dose mm-hmm. yeah. and so you know what do you expect I mean she right. made it very clear that within 30 days you could easily be addicted yeah so I felt like that part just showed how susceptible any Again, you don't think, like, I want to believe that I don't have all this bias against people who are addicted. Right. But I think when it you look at it like distant. that, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I see how that yeah. could be me. All it would take is one prescription one time mm-hmm. um, that could open this floodgate that could ruin my life. I have to say, after I read this book, I became very scared for my boys yeah. because I just thought, you know, there were several instances of kids who took one pill one time. And because of the strength of it, it killed them. And I know those are extreme examples, but it also becomes clear as mm-hmm. she writes that they're not as extreme as we would like to think. And it right. just, right. you think kids make mistakes all the time. Yeah. And just making one mistake because they've been told by their friend that this was prescribed by a doctor. And they're like, well, it can't be that bad. Right. And then, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was really scary. I had a real, <laughs> I had a really hard time thinking about my kids who are both younger now 
but that they're soon going to be teenagers and that that is kind of a petrifying place to be where we are and both time-wise and location-wise um yeah it felt really close well and that, I mean I think that's where the education is so important yeah. like I feel like I was watching um one day at a time the the Netflix series mm-hmm. um the other day and um one of the kids he's probably like 13 he's in middle school and he and his his friend came over to his house and his grandma lives with him and so um she had this pain medicine and the friend saw it and then the friend tried to persuade him to steal one mm-hmm. because he was like the the kids are selling these for twenty dollars a pill mm-hmm. and he almost did mm-hmm. because I think and again I just think that's what she's doing really well and I think the more that we can do that and make it part of our mainstream conversation the more that it takes away the shame and mm-hmm. it also educates people on how easy it is because again it seems like that I mean to take one I don't, I yeah. mean I, I just think that that doesn't seem the same mm-hmm. as being his sister sees him doing it and she's like you know are you going to be a Latino drug dealer mm-hmm. like why why are you and she, he's like that's not what I'm doing. And he's like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think, you know, you think like the one pill. And really what he was trying to do is be cool with his friend. Right. That was it. He didn't want to do it. He wanted to not. The friend was pushing. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to disappoint the friend. And so I feel like it's those dynamics that like those are hard conversations to have. Mm-hmm. But I felt like so much of what she does in the book is highlight the shame that the families felt as they knew that their kids were experiencing mm-hmm. addiction problems and how that silenced them and then their kids died. Yeah. I mean, I feel like she just it she shows how again, I think she does a great job of showing the heroes throughout. And I think she shows the moms who broke their silence and said, "I am not going to let another child die on my watch just because I couldn't say." The, what is happening for our family mm-hmm. there was a great people feel so alone that said um when the one mom decided i was trying to find who it was but survival had to trump shame and i just think yeah and I mean, it shouldn't be about mm-hmm, shame right. but again i think that she just does a great job of showing all of the um bias that people have and then the reluctance that the victims and the victims families have to speak out about what's happening mm-hmm. i think that um, this probably is a good place to talk about Hidden Valley in mm-hmm. Roanoke and um, kind of the way that the that it before it I think there's a lot of things to talk about with this because mm-hmm. there is the fact that it went into the upper class white neighborhoods and became more more recognized as a problem um, so where it had already been in more marginalized communities mm-hmm. for a while um, and I also think it, that it goes to that discussion about shame and parents who so, knew that their kids were using but were too, sh- you know, ashamed to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what did you all think of that, of that section? Yeah, I mean, again, I think that's one of those that just – it's easy to make people who are victims seem like others. Mm-hmm. And I think – it, it just felt very identifiable. And, you know, these are people who have the money to send their kids to expensive treatment programs. J- just looking at that type of thing, like the approach to the people who couldn't afford treatment versus the approach to the people who could afford treatment, I think is so different. And if you can afford treatment, then you have a way to hide it. You send your you send someone away while they work through their problem and then they come back. I mean, whether they relapse or not is another issue but they come back seemingly better and so it's like you have that option to hide it whereas in the poorer communities 
They don't have that option. So I thought that was one really interesting thing is when do you have the option to escape, not escape, that it's not an escape, but, you know, to to well, go to, to another to place. Treatment. Right. Treat, I mean, most yeah. places they, I mean, I thought that was another thing was like the exorbitant cost mm-hmm. of the rehab and how for a lot of people, yeah. for the vast majority, it is not mm-hmm. available at all. When it but, made the point that the one mother went on the plane ride with her son to make sure that he didn't get off in the plane and avoid treatment. How many people can afford one right. plane ticket, let alone two, to make sure that your kid makes it there? And I to mean, get to the program that then you're paying for right. so for them to participate in. I mean, I felt like really there was striking. a lot of that, too. I mean, she. I, I think I could see that marginalized communities who have been targeted as criminals, mm-hmm. who are imprisoned, and who continue to suffer from addiction, the ramifications of addiction, and aren't getting addressed. I can see how that, they still, I don't know that this book well represents that story. Mm-hmm. But I did feel that she spoke to how inaccessible treatment is and how only the most elite are able to, the most um, affluent are able to even get, like you mm-hmm. said, like the plane ticket was a great example mm-hmm. of, you know, they, they had to get him in the program. And she shows also how, um, what did they call it? Where it was like, there, there's the window that the one person was like, there's this pr- tiny window that is like the time mm-hmm. that like they get out of jail uh-huh. and they have got to go to rehab immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't get in there immediately, they will relapse yeah. was basically the thing. So I think there's all that. There's the timing. Mm-hmm. There's no space for them to go to these programs. And then there's the thing that the programs are abstinence only. But additionally, mm-hmm. they are all exorbitantly expensive. Right. It seemed like. And I mean, and those families also can sustain multiple trips to rehabilitation, right. whereas even if you can scrounge enough t- together, often that's not enough. I mean, mm-hmm. like, yeah, more than one. percent of the time, that and that's not enough. a right. statistic. And they, but I mean, they, yeah. it doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't yeah. work at the first time. Yeah. So. Well, and that they need continuing yeah, treatment, continuing that it's not treatment. just you do it once and then you're better. You've got to keep going with it. And then, yeah, I feel like we're going in circles. But then that yeah. all plays into the shame, because when you're having ongoing treatment, then you are showing, you know, it's possible that someone could find out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just. I felt like yeah. that was a really bleak part of the book mm-hmm. is just how, how addictive it is. Yeah. And that that damage is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like that is what's really heartbreaking. And again, they spoke to McGreal and um, Macy spoke to the fentanyl part yeah. now and how even people who are like coming out of jail and might be relapsing are really relapsing into a totally different drug mm-hmm. than the drug that they might have experienced 15 years ago. And so, I mean, all of that was really interesting, but I did think that was really bleak. Yeah. And I mean, that's how it is. I mean, that's the reality, but I did not know how shocking those statistics are of the right. of the relapse rate and um kind of the fact that it's lifelong yeah. and that that struggle is going to be ongoing because the impact is not something that you could just take six mm-hmm. months away from and then recover right well and then that the hidden valley families often have that choice of treatment or jail whereas in the poor communities there's no choice right. like they are going to jail and then and then they're going to be dropped back out right. with even less opportunities than they had prior to being incarcerated yeah so i think you know then what do, what do you i mean what do you expect people to do i think i like i said i think you know she does a good job of speaking to to some of that mm-hmm. um of like what do we expect of people mm-hmm. if they're given no support mm-hmm. they're given no options um and then, and they're in this unbelievable situation as far as their body's concerned. And again, that's the part I just didn't know is not that I thought that withdrawal would be pleasant, but I mm-hmm. did not know how severe it was or how long lasting. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought she also did a really good job. I mean, we've talked about this um, in other aspects, but she did a really good job of showing all 
of the players and like how people get to where they are. Um, Cause even with Ronnie Jones, who was the hugest yeah. drug dealer in mm-hmm. Woodstock, I liked that. I mean, she could have easily just villainized mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. because he was kind of the ringleader. He wasn't a user. He was the one that was distributing and, um, he made a lot of money, mm-hmm. but that she went and took the time to get his backstory. And when mm-hmm. you read it, while you like you're, I, while I felt angry at him for dealing in my community, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like I could understand. I mean, he wanted to he wanted to start a computer repair business. He wanted to get, he wanted to get his life in order, and I mean, he was denied the opportunity to rent space because of his um, race. And his um, and being a, a, a prior felon, mm-hmm. and then he had all this debt. I mean, you can you can see how this is a mm-hmm. systemic issue mm-hmm. that is not going to be easily solved. But that I mean, like the, some of the dealers are also victims of that circumstance mm-hmm. too. So I felt like I really mm-hmm. appreciated the fact that she showed all these different all these different people mm-hmm. and how this has become this huge or this huge problem. Mm -hmm. And again, to me, like the, I mean, I just, I mean, I don't even, I just want to makes me want to throw my hands up Mm -hmm. and just say, how can we ever come out of this? Because it seems that the problem is the industry of medicine, instead of it being a healthcare issue Mm -hmm. and and a medical issue, like a medical thing Mm -hmm. that we do, it's this huge industry that Mm -hmm. makes billions of dollars or trillions of dollars. And the medical professionals aren't the one driving. Right. The no, industry. it is the yeah. it is the business. Mm-hmm. It is a big business. And um, when we saw Beth Macy and Chris McNeil, or sorry, McGreal, um, <laughs> speak, I think one of them said that they the, the drug companies spend two point five billion dollars lobbying Congress, mm-hmm. which is eight times more than. Um, Gun lobbyists, which was, I mean, Mm -hmm. that is incredible. It's almost unimaginable. So, I mean, it just feels like an an insurmountable problem when, you know. Well, and it seems like some of the big players will have to be taken down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, laws will have to change that enable the kinds of consequences that are necessary for them to stop. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, because even when you felt like there was a mini triumph in the book, Mm -hmm. it was a mini triumph Mm -hmm. in the face of the benefits that they are getting from continuing the system. It just doesn't hurt them enough to make them feel like they have to stop. The consequences are not severe enough. And again, a lot of the places are places that are not politically significant. Mm -hmm. So they are not places that people pay a lot of attention to. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think the backdrop of all of it is like economic Mm -hmm. depression Mm -hmm. also. And, um, you know, she speaks to that and talks in the book about um, people on disability and needing to qualify for disability and how to qualify. Mm -hmm. And I felt like she did a really good job laying that up because it goes back to like the coal mines. Like if if that is the work that you have in your town Mm -hmm. and that is all the work there is and you are no longer able to do that, then you should be on disability. But consequently, then you need a prescription to show that you are Mm -hmm. disabled and then you're taking the medication i mean it's this whole vicious cycle that again i felt like she did a really nice job of um laying out for people to understand because i think that is another area where there's a lot of bias and a lot of assumptions made about um the community about the people and i think that she really speaks to how those circumstances come about and Mm -hmm. what's required of them in order to qualify for what they need in order to survive so you know i think that um there there it it's just it it is a deep dive mm-hmm. um that covers 
all the players, like you said, Sarah. Well, and mm-hmm. I thought, too, she goes back and talks about the history of it, back through the Civil War. And so I thought that was really interesting, too, that it's not just this new phenomenon. Sarah, I think you talked about this early on in the episode, but just it's not a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Why? And the fact that it's so shocking is so bizarre that we have not been able to make a connection between what is happening now, mm-hmm. which in some ways is unique, but in some ways is not at all, right? and what happened before, right. and that so much of what is happening is built on the back of this one paragraph of research that was taken out of context and used in a faulty way. Um, I forget when that came. I mean, that one felt like it was a much earlier research. I should have had a page number written down. But yeah, just that we're not even doing new research about it because the pharmaceutical companies are fighting it. So to look at the history and to look at the research, you would think that those would help us combat it but they've just been taken off the table entirely as factors in considering how it should be treated. So that was powerful. Again, she's amazing. I mean, yeah, yeah I just thought her research and her writing and her ability to make, you know, the stuff about the Civil War seem relevant mm-hmm. um, and the sol- that it was the soldier's drug, mm-hmm. soldier's disease um, was fascinating. I agree. It was really, yeah, and the, that image of people going around with the little bags around their necks to be able to inject was that morphine, I think, at any mm-hmm. time? Um, and then the way that's transformed into our current situation. Oh, my goodness, guys. There's just so much to talk about <laughs> with this book. Um, I thought it would be really um, – we would we really need to talk about um, the fact that um, – drug addiction in our country in America is treated as a criminal justice Mm -hmm. issue and not a medical issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like Beth Macy really made her opinion known on that issue Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and gave really clear backup for it. But what Mm -hmm. did you all think about that? Because I had never really thought of it Mm -hmm. until I read this book. I mean, I never thought of it as one or the other. Mm -hmm. But what do you all think? Yeah, I mean, I, I I also feel very strongly about this one. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I feel like, like you said, I think that she made it clear that she's on the side of it is a medical issue and it should not be handled in the criminal system yeah. is how I feel. for uh, Dealing as an exception mm-hmm. because dealing, impl- you know, connects to other people, mm-hmm. all of those things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I feel from my personal experiences – um, that the people I, I worked in a jail and that most of the people I worked with were there because they were on a premises when there was drug mm-hmm. activity and they were arrested because of it and largely because they didn't have papers. So because I was teaching English, so a lot of them were um, arrested because they were at a party, for example, and somebody on the premises was doing drugs. Mm-hmm. And then they had to be detained because they didn't have papers. So a lot of them were awaiting court dates, um, often for over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just felt like it was shocking to me to see people. I mean, I just felt like I could have been that person. Like, mm-hmm. I've been at parties where people are doing things that I'm not partaking in. I don't even know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you don't you don't know what other people are doing. So I think that um, she shows how it can be used to oppress people mm-hmm. um, and that, like, there are, I, I think, I mean, she talks about this some. Um, I want to talk in my pairing about when they call you a terrorist. And I feel like in that one, it's really about, like, where are the police and why are they there? If you are being watched more carefully, mm-hmm. you are more prone to be picked up, arrested, and criminalized. Mm-hmm. And then if you become a felon, it is almost impossible to reintegrate yourself into 
mainstream society mm-hmm. in our country. And so, I mean, I feel like um, that this is a an area, this is not the only area that needs reform as far as um, criminal justice is concerned, but for sure this is a big area where um, it has caused insane amounts of money to be poured into um, the criminal system and then it's damaged a lot of people's situations and I don't know what all the answers are I mean Mm -hmm. I think she shows that too like you know like with Ronnie I mean I think she does a good job of showing her conflicted feelings about um, the ways that he manipulated people and he did the wrong thing Mm -hmm. but then she's comparing that against Purdue Pharma who walks away scotch-free mm-hmm and did the wrong thing, right. for sure, and affected millions of people. Right. So I think, you know, that I think she does a good job of saying it doesn't mean that they're right to do mm-hmm. the things that they're right. doing. It's just what is the consequence right. for it. Well, I just think we've raised, ra- reached a place where we have a better understanding of this as a disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. if all that you are doing – if you're never treating the disease, then how could you possibly expect anything to change when the person comes out of jail? Beyond the fact that they are now a felon, or they are now felons, and or at will least have a, have a criminal time. record right. or whatever. So yeah. I think when you acknowledge that it's a disease and you resist treatment, I mean that uh, yeah, I mean the illogic is astounding because right. of course yeah. So I just think um, everything she says in the book about these people needing medical treatment and that that is the true solution to putting a dent in the epidemic mm-hmm. makes total sense. Um, and then you mentioned as well, did you mention the abstinence only treatment? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I know we're, <laughs> headed okay. there. we're headed there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just think that consideration of the best ways to treat people mm-hmm. um, have to acknowledge them as flawed human beings. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, I think when you premise everything on people being perfect – um, and therefore, when you make a mistake, you get thrown in jail. It, yeah, it's, it's just setting up a system where you are dooming them to failure. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting, the information and um, research that she gave about like Portugal and mm-hmm. how once uh, about how. Well, there's a strange noise happening. It sounded like a duck, but I don't know if it's a duck. Anyway. I don't think it's a duck. But it, <laughs> My headphones are muting it, so I don't know. Okay. I hear you all talking okay. about the strange noise. Okay. Anyway. Um, so Portugal. In Portugal, how they have bege- yeah, they have they treat it at, treat addiction as a disease mm-hmm. and they um cover it as a medical health issue and how uh, that their numbers of uh, the number of addicts and i think that um the, i'm pretty sure this i'm pretty sure the number of um overdoses mm-hmm. d- death by overdose has decreased since they started treating it that way and also in canada i think that they are doing that the same way mm-hmm. and i just Sometimes I get so frustrated because I'm just I just don't understand why we can't mm-hmm. make that change mm-hmm. here in our country mm-hmm. when the answers seem so apparent. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean she talks about drug courts, but they're such a small part. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still very much the exception yeah. and not the rule. There are just so few places that have them, yeah, and that make it where people are eligible to go to a home or to have treatment or to do those things instead of having jail time. Mm-hmm. Well. Again, like I said before, there's so much to talk about, but I think our last topic um, will be medical-assisted treatment um, versus abstinence as a treatment for drug addiction because she takes a a good chunk of the book to talk about that, and she um, talks about 
she talked about that at the mm-hmm. at the Virginia Book Festival where we saw her her speak, and I think it would be um, an oversight if we didn't speak about mm-hmm. this topic. Mm-hmm. So what what do y'all think about that? I felt like I learned the most about that in mm-hmm. this book. Like that was something that I knew very little about um, and didn't really have an opinion on. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think she really illuminates how it's totally. I mean, she didn't say she didn't say the abstinence only treatment is equal to not having any treatment, mm-hmm. but she showed how flawed it is, mm-hmm. and I felt like did so in a really convincing way. And so I felt like one hundred percent after reading this, I was like, oh my gosh! I mean, like you said, Sarah, like this seems apparent mm-hmm. that that's what needs to happen is that they need the medical assisted therapy. Mm-hmm. She yeah. talks about MAT a lot, uh-huh. and um, that you know, and th- lays out the reasons for that. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like that made a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. why, why why would we expect someone to do something that this, the numbers show is virtually impossible to mm-hmm. do? But I think she does a really good job of showing why it's such an issue when doctor, I mean, she, she like touched my heart when she was speaking um, yesterday at the Virginia Book Festival talking about when she, she spoke to a group of doctors mm-hmm. and basically, I mean, just called him out and said, why are you not, because there's a waiver that you mm-hmm. have to, um, that you have to apply for in order to be able to treat addicts with, um, I guess it's Suboxone. Is that what it is? That's one of them. Yeah. One of them. And, and methadone. And, and I, I was surprised by that too, that there was a waiver required mm-hmm. for that. But anyway, go ahead. And that she just, uh, and, I mean, and that they just, she said it was crickets when she spoke with the doctors. The doctors don't want to deal with it. Because she said 7% have mm-hmm. the waiver. Yeah. 7%. I don't know if that's all, Virginia or if that's in the nation, oh, but 7% yeah. oh, sure of them either. have the waiver mm-hmm. and no one else does. But she said that, you know, people will say that they want to help and that they, that they care for this, um, the addicts and their, and what they're trying to, and getting clean and all of that, but then that they protest having methadone clinics mm-hmm. in their backyards. And I mean, it's just, it's just a terrible mess. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just, it doesn't seem, I don't know. The book is, ho- I do feel like the book is hopeful. Like, I mean, I think she, she tries to be hopeful and mm-hmm. say that there are things that we can do, but it also like, I mean, it just made me really sad mm-hmm. and I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't, I mean, I yeah. just. Yeah, but it, because there's no easy there's answer. No easy well, answer. It's and some like, of the easy answers seem, it seems insurmountable yeah. to jump over the hurdles that this shouldn't be there say, to it make it happen. It seems a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to have a disease. And that, yeah, like we all accept that when you have cancer, you might have, you know, you might have it for a while before you go into remission and then that remission is not permanent. Mm -hmm. And so I don't understand how people cannot draw the comparison to another type of disease Mm -hmm. where maybe you are in remission, you are off the drug, you have feel like you've conquered it and then you relapse. And then uh, of course you give more treatment and just, and that you need assistance to do that. I mean, again, considering people as human beings who make mistakes and I mean, and this is a medical need, right? That you're combating something medically, but also just that there's a huge emotional and mental component of it. Um, people's atmosphere, you know, people who come out of treatment and they go back with the same people that they hung out with before because they're their friends. If that situation is not changed, Mm -hmm. of course it makes sense Mm -hmm. to me that you're going to fall back into the same things that you did before. And so if, 
And in if some ways are like, more likely to right. overdose in that scenario. Yeah. So if something like methadone can help, it just feels like a lack of empathy. Mm-hmm. If something like methadone can help, why would you deny that to someone just to say it's all or nothing? But it's educating it's, the whole community right. too because mm-hmm. I think that it's also educating the addicts. Like I think about when my dad quit smoking, his doctor really tried to – so he smoked from the time he was 15 – when you know back when like we talked about with the ads back when people thought that that was totally fine to do Mm -hmm. and then in his 60s is trying to quit Mm -hmm. so that is a long time and his doctor was trying to get him to do Keontics Keontics Mm -hmm. is that the one that people use okay so um doctor was trying to get him to do that so that he would be more likely to be successful Mm -hmm. and he did not want to do it and I think it's because he felt that he should be strong enough to just quit Mm -hmm. and I think and she talks about that too with like 12-step programs and how that has worked for other phenomenons like AA promotes people. I mean, it is abstinence only, yeah. but those are two different situations. And, and I think about that, that shows that that's not always. Well, yeah. Well, she, she said, was... you know, none of that's been done by medical professionals. Right. I mean, and again, that does work for some people. And I think unfortunately people who are addicted are probably exposed to other people who have had success in that arena mm-hmm. that doesn't discount their success but it doesn't mean it's going to work for every right. person so like back to my dad's story like ultimately he did take it mm-hmm. and it was to- and it helped and then he quit and now he doesn't mm-hmm. smoke anymore and so i feel like sometimes you need that but then you have to convince the person that they you we have to convince ourselves as a community mm-hmm. that it is necessary and then also convince the people who are coming out that they need it yeah. in order to up their likelihood of success mm-hmm. and i think when you lay it out with those statistics mm-hmm. it seems really apparent right Mm -hmm. well I think people want to see it as a battle that they have conquered yeah you know like the continued treatment part of it as well that you can't just go into rehab and come out and never need any support again Mm -hmm. um but then you're admitting that it's a battle that's still ongoing and you haven't conquered definitively and I'm I'm sure that is really difficult because of course you want to think you've you've beaten it and you're done and it's over but and it's just it's just such a travesty that it all that a lot of this started with l- like the lawful use of prescription mm-hmm. drugs. Yeah, I mean it all goes like I it as for me as a human being it's just so sad. I mean, I, sad is not even the right word. I can't even express mm-hmm. my words for the fact that this is an issue that was created and approved by the FDA the the drug and then these people have become addicted and now we're just, I mean, it just feels like hanging them out to dry, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just, it just, I, I have to say that this book, I have not read a book that has impacted me quite mm-hmm. so much, um, in a while. Mm-hmm. I have read some, but just this one really, I mean, it just made me sad mm-hmm. at the state of our human condition. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sound that sounds trite, but that's how it made me feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to move into talking about Hey Kiddo, How I Lost My Mother, Found My Father, and Dealt With with Family Addiction by Jarrett Krasoska. This is a graphic memoir that he wrote about his own experience with his mom and um, just how his life was impacted by addiction. So what did you all think of it? Um, I loved it. I thought... Um, it was so powerful, and I think that the fact that it was graphic, that it had the images to go along with the text, really emphasized that it was a memory. I'm um, at the end. He has this great note about some of his artistic choices and like 
there's a pineapple wallpaper that appears throughout that was really mm-hmm. precious to his grandmother, and he chose this color orange because it matched a pocket square of his grandfather's. <laughs> and yeah, so I just thought there's something about graphic memoirs, graphic novels that is so, everything's so deliberate. And I know that that's true in books too, but I think because I'm new to reading graphic memoirs, it just is astounding the things that can have an impact on me as a reader. So yeah, I thought it was really beautiful. Very sad, but you know, very beautiful and well done. Yeah, I I thought it was moving. Um, mm-hmm. And I loved the way he communicated his ideas. Um, and I also feel like I should say that um, we are in a different location with a different mic. Oh, yeah. So I can hear that very clearly in my headphones. Um, but anyway, that is why if it sounds different from mm-hmm. the other part, that's why. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I, yeah, I mean, I just found it profoundly moving. I also felt like he was um, so generous in his um, understanding of his family members and really tender um, toward them, even though he experienced a lot of really hard things. And so, um, I think, you know, he talks about in the pages in the back that Jen referenced, um, he kind of talks about how this was a long time coming. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you can see that in the writing and when we saw him speak in Charlottesville, um, he talked about that too. And I just think you can really tell that he, this is a story that's been in him a long time, but also that he has, um, had some space, as an adult to kind of look back on it and, mm-hmm. and be away from it um, a little bit before before telling it. And I think you can really see all of that. Yeah. So I thought it was fantastic. What do you think, Sarah? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, if you've listened for a long time, you know that um, just the, the whole graphic novel, graphic mo- memoir genre is not something that I normally love. But in this case, I did love this book. Mm-hmm. Um I just, I found it really moving, and I think, too, like, after hearing him speak, it mm-hmm. made me love it e- even more, because it because of how he, how, the, the, th- the steps that he took to make the memoir what it is, mm-hmm. and, I mean, with the artwork, and, um, I don't know, just all the little touches, like, having actual drawings that his mother mm-hmm. drew mm-hmm. within the pages of the um, of the novel and also like letters mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I just found all those personal touches really um, left an impact mm-hmm. on me. So yeah. I really I really liked it. It yeah. was sad, but I really I really found it moving. Yeah, it was almost scrapbooky. The part yeah. Sarah was talking mm-hmm. about with like the letters and the photos and yeah, then when you start seeing the connections between the photos and the way he's transformed it again to depict his memory. Yeah, that was neat. And I just love the characters. I mean, and they're they're all complex. I don't feel like anyone is idealized. Like, you very mm-hmm. much see his grandparents, who are, I think, my favorites, as real people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also see how grateful he is to what they did for him. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so I thought, yeah, it's just really well done. Um. So what did you think um, about the depiction of addiction from a child's perspective? Which is, I mean, is different. I mean, I definitely think that this was different than anything I've ever read because um, he, he's clearly caused this a YA mm-hmm. memoir um, a little bit more than middle, a, a little bit over middle grade yeah. for mm-hmm. sure, or maybe a lot bit. But, um, but I had never seen addiction portrayed in this way Mm -hmm. and um from this perspective so what did y'all think about that um (laughs) i'm gonna start calling on you guys um i i mean 
I thought it was really well done. And, and I've even contemplated giving it to my 11-year-old because, well, I do think it deals with incredibly complex topics. Um, you know, you see his mother with needles and you see her with strange men in the house. I also think because it is from that child's perspective, there's an innocent about innocence about it. And he's trying to work out, um, yeah, just figure out what he understands. So it's that interesting, you know, there's more to it, but as a kid, maybe he didn't, he just didn't see it as anything different. That was just the way he lived. And so then when he does get to live with his grandparents, he doesn't understand because to him, his mom was his mom. Mm -hmm. And that was just the way she was. Um, even though he was, I'm sure, in danger at some points because of the things that were in her home um, as a result of her addiction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, like I said it before about, like, I felt like he was really gracious um, with his interpretation. And I mean, you know, I assume that that's his perspective, mm -hmm. but also I think that when he was telling the story, it seems like he's thinking about all the parts of each of the people mm -hmm. in his life. Um, and so I think like his grandparents, for example, could be um, cast in a very different mm -hmm. light than they were. Mm -hmm. Um even though they have the same mannerisms throughout, um, but because Jared, the boy, adores them, mm -hmm. um, then that then we see them in that light. And same with his mom that, um, you know, in his teenage years, you can see some of that bitterness coming out that you would expect from a child mm -hmm. who feels that their parent cannot get it together to... Um, support them and so I think you start to see that as he's older um, mm -hmm. like that time where he want you know his friends want to get a ride and he's able to get a ride from her but he does you know he just tries not to rely on her yeah um, mm -hmm. because his whole life experience has taught him not to do that but yeah I mean I think like Jen said that he does such a great job um, at in depicting the story both the art and the language um, and showing like what the child's mm -hmm. perspective is like and coming to that realization, you know, when his grandfather sits him down and he tells his friend Pat and um, he starts to piece together what that's going to mean for mm -hmm. him um, as a young child realizing that. So, yeah. yeah. I also loved um, the fact that he, it, when you were talking about his interpretation of each character the, or of each person, the way he sees his mother and his grandparents as helping him to find his love for art mm -hmm. and of supporting that love. So, you know, his mom did a lot of things wrong, but one thing she did right was she loved art and she used that as a way to communicate with him. And so then when he began to love art too, it was like they had this language. And mm -hmm. then to see his grandparents who, you know, I think, in most books, you would expect them not to understand why that was so important to him or to want him to do something more, I'm going to do the air quote thing, practical. Um, but that they approach him about taking the classes mm -hmm. and that they just see how important that is to him. I Yeah, I, that is one of my favorite things about the book is just that you see that as one of the ways that he is coping with his life and with his growing understanding of his mom and his dad, who we haven't talked about, but who was not a part of his life until he's... Is he's 18, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so just the way that art is helping him fill some of those gaps that are left is really beautiful. Well, let's talk about his um, relationship with Leslie, his mother. And, um, I mean, there was some tenderness in their mm -hmm. relationship. and But then, I mean, there's also a lot of frustration on his part um, having to deal with the addiction and... Um, not being able to rely on her. Mm -hmm. What what did you guys think about 
how she was portrayed in the book. I have to say, like, for me, her portrayal in the book was a bit different to me than how I felt he spoke of her mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. we were um, in Charlottesville. But, I mean, I still feel like he was very gracious both, yeah. in both um, both mediums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, she becomes addicted so, so young. And the part, so when she's... 13. Okay, he yeah. says 13 is when she started using. And the grandfather gets her an apartment on her own when she's 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. So I just think, and, you know, she has done a lot of things to his grandparents, to her parents. Um, but, yeah, when you just think about... The grandfather thought that that would be helpful. His grandfather thought that it would be helpful if she had a place of her own and didn't feel like she was under so many restrictions, but she says that that just made it worse. And so I think when you see how early it started and and the hold that that addiction took on her and how much love she had for for Jarrett, there was a part when he was speaking. um, He had this great multimedia presentation going at the Virginia Festival of the Book, and there's a part where... Um, there's a song that his mom used to sing to him. And man, that just got me because you see that she loves him so much. Mm -hmm. There's just this other thing that she can't beat for, you know, she can't be permanently. So she has times when she, um, is, is not taking drugs and when she can be there for him. But again, it's just that consistency that she's in and out of his life. Um, yeah, it's so complicated. It's Mm -hmm. really hard. And I think you feel every moment of that struggle of him, Wanting to believe in her and to believe that she'll be there, but never quite believing it once he realizes the truth about her. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, working with kids who are in their teens, so, you know, I feel like I know a lot about 16-year-olds, and it's just really hard to think about, um, you know, being addicted at 13, Mm -hmm. and then... um, to be on your own at 16 and you know I mean like Jen said it was intended to be for Mm -hmm. her well-being but she also was doing horrendous things to her parents um and making these terrible choices that you know they had to think about their well-being and their well-being of their other children Mm -hmm. also and Mm -hmm. so I mean that's a horrible place to be in um but certainly I mean that's a very early age to be on your Mm -hmm. own especially when you're already making bad choices um but then you think, I mean, it's, it was miraculous to me that she wasn't um, using drugs while mm-hmm. she was pregnant. I mean, mm-hmm. I really think, um, and I mean, he spoke to that at Festival of the Book and just said, um, and it's in the in the memoir as well, just that, you know, um, he was fortunate not to be born addicted mm-hmm. um, because certainly that happens. And, um, you know, but then also that's got to be heartbreaking because I'm sure that it feels from the child's perspective, it feels like. She can. Yeah. She's able to, um, you know, not use. And so if that's the case, then why isn't she making that choice consistently? Um, And, I mean, I think it's hard not to think about all of this in light of a lot of the things that we read in Dope Sick. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly in about how it is um, that periods of recovery are temporary and um, that, you know, that getting down that road again is, is statistically extremely likely. Um, but I mean, nonetheless, it's gotta be so disappointing, Mm -hmm. um, over and over again to have that happen. And particularly, I mean, he sees all this love that she has for him. And I mean, I loved being able to see her 
um, like actually see her handwriting yeah. mm-hmm. and those things. Um, like Sarah said about the drawings. I mean, I just think that really showed how much she loved him. But then it's got to be really painful as a kid to be like, how is that not enough? Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you can logically think through all of that, I think that that doesn't stop the emotional impact of that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so because Leslie was so, um, unreliable for Jarrett and he moves in with Joe and Shirley, I thought that was a really interesting part of the book about, um, Joe and Shirley's relationship. I mean, Shirley's own struggle with, Mm -hmm. um, alcohol and, I mean, in the beginning, it seemed like, like this perfect situation, but then he quickly sheds light on that there, there were a whole other set of struggles yeah. when he moved right. in there um so what what i love joe he was mm-hmm. like i loved him so much because i felt like he was just so sweet and kind to um jared and kissed him every morning on mm-hmm. the forehead mm-hmm. and that just really was touching to me mm-hmm. what yeah. did you all think of that dynamic with i mean grandparents raising grandkids grandchild mm-hmm. you know grandchild and um just their dynamic as a family unit yeah, I mean, I like you said, I loved. I mean, I loved his relationship with Joe, and um, and I thought that. I mean, Shirley is definitely complex uh-huh. in the in the memoir, and um, and yet he show, you know he shows how much he loved her mm-hmm. also yeah. and the love that he has for both of them. Um, but I mean, I did. I mean, just the things that she would say that were so biting. Um, and I think that that's where the graphic memoir is so powerful because a lot of the images are just mm-hmm. the dialogue blurb mm-hmm. was really telling, um, you know, without him and narration having to kind of break it down mm-hmm. and explain exactly how each of them is. Um, but, you know, in the beginning when he's teaching him to drive, I mean, all of that was just really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's like silly jokes. I mean, it's corny jokes yes. about the dead people. And, you know, I mean, and how much he loved his own parents and visiting their mm-hmm. graves. And, um, I mean, I think all of that was just really rich. And I think he also comments on having grandparents and, of course, them being therefore older mm-hmm. um, and how that also impacts his life and is something that he's aware of that a lot of children aren't as conscious of, um, as far as the fact that, you know, death is part of it and, um, and him feeling kind of that weight, um, which can happen with parents as well, but certainly with them being Mm -hmm. a bit older since, um, they were his grandparents. But yeah, I thought they were great. I thought it was great too, how he went to his aunts a lot, his mother's younger sisters for Mm -hmm. like kind of check-ins about his grandparents and that they were a source of strength for him as well. And they have their own families, so they couldn't be there as constantly as his grandparents were. But you really see how they've come together. Um, so even though it was in some ways a fragile household because addiction goes through both generations, both his grandparents and his mom, um, you know, his aunt, they did something right, I guess, yeah. because his aunts yeah. are great people. His mom continues to try. So even though, of course, people make mistakes and... Um, they're, they're just, they find a strength in each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. yeah. I love that. And I loved how he explained when we spoke with him, or we, we didn't speak with him. <laughs> I wish. But, um, when we heard him speak about the illustrations and how each facial expression yeah. and each um, moment in the novel is like picked Mm-hmm. especially for that particular scene and mm-hmm. how I think that that really made me think about the importance of the illustrations and just graph and graphic novel as a whole mm-hmm. kind of genre of books 
and um, how important it is to examine this, but especially in this one when he um, when he indicated how closely he thought about each and everything yeah. in the illustration and the page turn. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was really interesting that was too. Something. That you consider what you're revealing every time you turn a page, mm-hmm. um, which is something I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about before. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to look back after, you know, and mm-hmm. think about those choices. Because it makes sense, mm-hmm. but it's something that, because I'm not, you know, a visual artist at all, it's just right. something that's not really on my radar. So. I don't and think I can authors, appreciate that, but I wouldn't have thought to. Yeah, like I don't think authors are like, right. I'm going to end yeah. this sentence on this page. So then when you make Or it, even have you, control over right. it a lot of times. So yeah. for that to be such a part of it. Yeah, yeah, hearing him speak and seeing like he showed his entire process. He had this little movie that detailed from the line drawings to the grayscale that he wrote the text almost as a screenplay, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense. But I just, yeah, just, mm-hmm. I never thought about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going back and thinking about all of that, it just, I have great respect for authors in general, but somehow I was like, wow, this, yeah. And partly this is because I do not have an artistic bone in my body, but I was like, wow, this seems really hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just right. oh, a absolutely. lot of work. Well, and when I went back and I looked specifically at Joe and Shirley, like, I feel like he told so much just in their expressions mm-hmm. throughout the book. Because, I mean, I felt like Shirley was pretty volatile, mm-hmm. um, but also loved him so deeply. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then at the end of his speak speaking, oh. when he showed, showed us the video, mm-hmm. we were all tearing up, um, of Joe and Shirley talking. I mean, they and they clearly all loved each other so much. Mm-hmm. I just really liked the commentary about what makes a family and that family families can be made out of lots of different like members mm-hmm. and um I don't know I just yeah. really like that whole I just really really love this book yeah yeah Even Pat his yeah. really good friend Pat yes and I have to say early on when I was reading it like when he tells Pat that his mom is in jail mm-hmm. and says you can't tell anybody I had this feeling of dread that Pat was going to go tell people and he didn't like mm-hmm. it was just this true friend who became family and was this constant in his life. But, like, how his cousins became almost, like, surrogate siblings yeah, and right. he protected them like a big brother would. I don't know. I just thought that was all really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then when he does meet his half-brother and sister, mm-hmm. um, so he finally meets his dad and meets those siblings. Um, and, you know, his dad is just really honest. I mean, yeah, I think the honesty throughout the book mm-hmm. that... You can be gracious with people, even knowing the truth that, again, his dad made a mistake, made a series Mm -hmm. of mistakes not to be involved in his life, but he's come in later and can be one more kind of pillar of strength for Jared. Mm -hmm. And and now he has siblings that he had never known before. Mm So. It's, yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> and so I feel good. like, like, I mean, he talked about, and I think he talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, this at the end of the book as well, um, just how, how, I mean, family is who supports you. Yeah. Um, and who's there for you throughout. And then also that you get to make your own. And I think um, it's just, I think the book is a really hopeful, has a really hopeful message. And then I felt like in his own life that he has come to appreciate, you know, that he gets to decide and he has his own children and he um, has some, he just has some control over mm-hmm. what their lives are like. And um, that while, of course, you can't control everything that, you know, he gets to create his own um, world to a certain extent mm-hmm. and how awesome that is um, with his, you know, and I think he came to understand that because of his grandparents yeah. and his um, aunts and then the cousins and then the siblings and, you know, all of that and then his friends. I mean, I think that he 
um, found that strength and then has come to appreciate that and, and has been able to offer it to others, yeah. which I think is great. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't read it, read it. <laughs> Okay, so let's move into our pairings for this book. Um, Jen, will you start us? I'm going to be happy to start. Um, okay, so I am offering a pair of books for this pairing. And I read these back to back, and that was a powerful experience. So I'm going to recommend that you get them both and read them together. Um, the books are by David Sheff and his son, Nick Sheff. Um, Nick Sheff's book is called um, Tweak, Growing Up on Methamphetamines, um, and it is his memoir about his addiction. Um, he starts getting drunk when he is quite young. Um, he's, I'm looking in the notes here, he's 11, um, and he sees his father smoking pot <coughs> and... Um, yeah, his father just is really honest with him about all of that. Um, but as he grows up, he starts um, getting into harder drugs. And, man, it just goes through everything. It is a really honest portrayal looking back at his addiction and at the times that he thought he was going to be able to claw his way out of it, and then he just couldn't. Um, and he is just, yeah, again, just really honest about the power that meth had over him. And then his father's book is called Beautiful Boy, A Father's Journey Through His Son's Addiction. And so to read these together and to see David Sheff's love for his son, the ways that he blames himself for his son's addiction because he knows that he did talk about drugs, that his son did see him um, smoking pot, that he, he, he starts questioning everything he's ever done and feeling like it's his fault and seeing David Sheff work through... Um, his relationship with his son and the times that he feels like he can be the one to help Nick end his addiction and then his realization that Nick is the one who has to do that. Both books are, man, they have parts that are very difficult to read, but then they both, I mean, they're both writing these memoirs. So they both have hope. You know that they're going to get to a point at least where they can reflect and you just feel the love that they have for each other through the book. So the, it, that part reminded me of Krasowska's portrayal of his mother. It's not that he's excusing what she did, but he just extends a lot of understanding to her. And I felt like both chefs um, did that as well. And chef is S-H-E-F-F. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend those books um, together. They were published at the same time back in 2009. Um, I think that they had started writing them independently, and then once they realized it, they did ask that they be published at the same time. So um, while they were written independently, they were published as kind of a team, um, and I read them back-to-back -back on a weird vacation. That's strange things to read on a vacation, but um, yeah, so they're, they're really well done. So again, that's, I'm going to give the short titles, David Chef's Beautiful Boy and Nick Chef's Tweak. Those sound great. Man. Um, I wanted to talk about two different books as well. Um, and the first one I want to talk about is When They Call You a Terrorist, which is by Patrice Kahn Colors and Asha Bandele. Um, and I, there are a couple of ways that I felt like this really paralleled Dopesick. Um, one is that I felt like Dopesick was 
an expose on Mm -hmm. um, some horrendous things that were happening in our society and um, a call to action for what we can do about them. Mm -hmm. And I think that when they call you a terrorist, a Black Lives Matter memoir um, is speaking to, it's it's another expose of something that is happening in our society that is horrendous um, and a call to action that we need to do something about Mm -hmm. it. And I feel like um, in both books, I felt um, that... I knew that the problems were there, but I think that um, Patrice Con Colors just does a great job of making some very clear and understandable um, references that help people understand what it is like to be black in America. Um, and so I felt like, I mean, she does, she really shows the parallels between um, the history of slavery and the prison system today. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like, I mean, she talks about the war on drugs and compares it to ethnic genocide and makes a very convincing case um, for that. And, um, she also, I just thought she did a great job of showing, she, she, um, recounts how she goes through a lot of people in her life. So she's speaking to her family's experiences. Um, and yet she's going from these very specific family experiences to, um, some really powerful generalizations about trends that are Mm -hmm. systemic in our society. And I felt like that, I mean, this is a must read. Like I just felt like, um, it is really helping people understand mm-hmm. um, just what it is like and why movements like Black Lives Matter are so important and necessary um, in our society. And so, I mean, I felt like she did a really great job of, um, she has her, one of the, um, she tracks her brother who is in and out of prison a lot um, and treated terribly. He has mental health issues and um, his experiences are really horrendous. Um, and she shows how he's in and out of the prison system constantly for really minor things. Um, she also shows, and this is, I've heard this from so many people, how, you know, at 12, um, she was in a school where she had marijuana, but lots of people were mm-hmm. um, smoking pot and it was kind of commonly happening. And yet she was like the one who got called out and the one that there was actions imposed against um, because she was black. Um, and she also talks about how when she was very young, um, remembering how the boys in her neighborhood were like slammed up against the wall and accosted by the police. I mean, I just think, and for, for basically being on the street. Um, and so I just think that like those are experiences that I think are heard in the news, but I think that she, um, of course, I mean, she's telling it from, Mm -hmm. from her perspective and from the perspective of her family. And I think it makes it hard for people to, um, kind of push it aside, Mm -hmm. I think is what I found so powerful about it. And I also loved, I felt like, um, she talked a lot about things like, um, the AA program, which really promotes personal responsibility over things like addiction. And she talks about how, yes, people should take personal responsibility, but she felt that we also have to look at like all the systems that are in place that are causing this personal collapse. Mm -hmm. So she is like, okay, I'm not making excuses for people. And I think that people do have to take personal responsibility, but also what are all the ways since before they were born that society has either put a net under them or left nothing mm-hmm. below them so that they are destined to make these choices that then re- force them to have this like personal responsibility. So I felt like that was really powerful. Um, and yeah, I just think that again, so I thought that it paralleled Joseph in that regard because I think that um, both of them lay the facts out there mm-hmm. um, and help you as the reader to understand um, some of the systemic problems. 
Did you listen? You listened. I listened to yeah, this. Yes. And she reads it. And I thought it which was is really, really powerful. powerful on audio. Yeah. Um, and I loved listening to her. And then the other way that I felt like it parallels is just that it talks a lot about drugs mm-hmm. and addiction and heroin and um, how that has become such a part of some parts of our society and why. Um, and again, you know, I think she just looks back at how a lot of that unfolded and it's nasty business mm-hmm. and um, it makes it... Um, I, again, I think that both of the books are just like a call to action for like, what are we going to do about this? And, um, how are we going to take responsibility in America for some of these things that are happening? So, yeah, I mean, I thought it was phenomenal and I, um, yeah, I couldn't recommend it enough. Mm -hmm. And I agree with Jen that it's great on audio. I would have loved to read it as well. I will probably read it as Mm -hmm. well because I did, there were a lot, it's just, um, there were a lot of things I wanted to mark. And so I loved listening to it on audio because I loved hearing her voice. But then I felt like um, I'd like to go back so that I can really break down a lot of the things that she said because I just think, or that they, again, I don't, I don't know exactly how. I, I am speaking about Patrice Con Colors because she's the one who read it mm-hmm. um, and she's talking about a lot of her family experiences. But Asha Mandele obviously was involved in the writing process as well and is involved in a lot of the, um, the social activism that they've done. Um, so that's that one. And then I also wanted to mention, and I've talked about this before, so I'm, on the podcast I'm not going to go a lot in depth, but Blankets um, by Craig Thompson is an amazing, I was going to say a graphic memoir. He does not outright say yeah. that it is a memoir. Um, he calls it an illustrated... Uh, I don't remember. Illustrated novel? I could go look. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, he does not use the word memoir, um, but it is two brothers. One of them's name is Craig. Um, there seem to be some connections. Graphic, but he says it's a graphic novel on the cover. Graphic so. novel. Okay, so um, I know that in the in that community that those I don't want to mix up the terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it does read in a very personal way, um, and it is very powerful. And so while it's not about addiction, it is about things that happen to kids that profoundly impact their lives. Um, and it's also about love and relationships and how um, people come to find themselves and how they learn to support each other. And so I think there's a lot of um, thematic similarities. And um, I also found it to be really powerful. And I felt like um, the illustrations and all of the art made it so impactful. Mm -hmm. So I think in in the same way that, um, like Sarah said, I mean, I don't read a lot in the graphic novel um, genre, but for both of those, they let, left a very lasting impression and I think wouldn't have been nearly as impactful if they hadn't been illustrated works. So, so um, the two that I'm going to talk about could actually double for the classroom connection mm-hmm. section too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first one is, um, Crank by Ellen Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And this is a, this is the first in a trilogy um, the other two being Glass and Fallout. Um, which follows the same girl in her struggle with addiction. And um, so the protagonist is Christina Snow. Um, she goes on a court-ordered visit to Albuquerque to visit her dad, who is estranged, and he has problems. He has a lot of problems. And she meets this um, boy there, this kind of bad boy, um, who's charming. His name's Adam. And he... Um, in that short few weeks that she's visiting her dad, she gets entangled with Adam and he introduces her to, um, you know, alcohol and romance and um, cigarettes because she was a really good girl and then crystal meth. And mm-hmm. um, by the time she leaves Albuquerque to go back to her 
mom and stepfather. She's she's addicted and um, she was like an honor roll student and it just it does a really good job of showing um, how this one decision really kind of um, changed the whole trajectory of her life mm-hmm. and her, her and, and also her relationships. Um, it's it's a novel in verse and um, it's really heavy with the metaphors so it is not it's not an easy read for students um, but if a student is uh, capable of handling it's a really good mm-hmm. look and cautionary tale really about um, addiction and just choices mm-hmm. so that's the first one so that is crank by Ellen Hopkins but it is definitely I don't know if gritty is the right word, but it's definitely explicit mm-hmm. and it is definitely does not sugarcoat anything. So it has to be the right, it has to be matched with the right student mm-hmm. if it's going to be read by um, young adults. Um, the other one is Winter Girls by Lori Hall Sanderson. And um, I'm sure in a later episode, we got to see Lori <laughs> Hall Sanderson <laughs> speak. And I mean, did nothing but fan my fangirl for her. She is amazing, but she does a really good job of writing about social issues related to teenagers and young adults. Mm-hmm. And this Winter Girls um, is not about addiction to um, to drugs, but it's about um, eating disorders. Uh, one of the the main protagonists, Leah, has, is um, anorexic. And then her best friend, Cassie, is bulimic and... Um, it is just... I just really don't want to give away anything because there's a, there's a hint of like mystery sort of in the book um but really it's about you know the struggle of of having an eating eating disorder and trying to climb out of that and i think what's unique about eating disorders is that um versus other addictions is that you can't take away food and Mm -hmm. i think she does a really good job whereas like if you go to to rehabilitation for a drug or alcohol i mean you can take that out of your Mm -hmm. life and not there, but like with food, it's always the, you know, you have to have it. So mm-hmm. I think she does a great mm-hmm. job. It's making me feel emotional talking about this. Mm-hmm. I don't, but um, she does a great job of showing that, and I just I think it's a really powerful book. It, it does a really good job of accurately depicting those demons mm-hmm. inside, and um, yeah. especially Leah's demons because she is. She just really does a good job of t- depicting that. So um, I think it's a great book for young women who are struggling. Um, and it shows a lot of the um, I mean, consequences of not taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I really thought it was a good one. So it's a little bit different than um, Dope Sick and Hey Kiddo, but it... it Plays with the same themes, mm-hmm. I think. So, I haven't read either, so oh I'm going to make both on my to-do list. Oh, to, yeah. to, not my to-do list. My TBR list. Which and, is sometimes also a to-do list. <laughs> and again, Winter <laughs> Girls is disturbing. I mean, yeah. it is disturbing if you, um, if you're kind of going in cold and you don't have a lot of, um, you haven't read or know a lot about eating disorders, mm-hmm. but it is very powerful. So that's Winter Girls by Lori Hall Sanderson. So I guess we've all set our, our picks, and we can go into classroom mm-hmm. connections. Um, for I'm just gonna go ahead and go, mm-hmm. which is unusual because normally our, the we let each other go. <laughs> but I yeah. I just wanted to say that my picks for my 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 matches or my um, con, um pairings. pairings pairings yes sorry gosh words are hard today so my my pairings are also my classroom connections mm-hmm. but I would also um, 
think that Hey Kiddo would be a really powerful book to have in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, Dope Sick would be difficult for a lot of students to get through in the middle school. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that is probably an appropriate pick for middle school, but that there are a lot, luckily a lot of things, especially Hey Kiddo, mm-hmm. um, for middle school readers. Uh, I had eighth graders read Winter Girls, and I had some eighth graders read Crank, but, I mean, Crank is pretty sophisticated mm-hmm. in the language that is that is used, um, lots of metaphors and figurative language. And, I mean, some, some students would read it but not really get what yeah. was happening. Mm-hmm. So I think Hey Kiddo and Winter Girls would both be a really good pick for middle school students, especially eighth graders. Yeah, I, um, I would for sure teach Hey Kiddo. Um, in the high school, I think it would work great. In Lit Circles, I really like thinking about um, pairing it with other books about addiction mm-hmm. and different topics. And, I, I mean, I really like your thought there about Winter Girls, Sarah, because I think um, that a lot of time that there is a significant overlap between eating disorders and addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that helping people look at it that way um, can be really illuminating for kids mm-hmm. and especially for young girls. Um And so, I mean, I think that could be really powerful. So I think putting together a collection of books that deal with various kinds of addictions and then um, helping kids have discussions. So, you know, doing lit circles with both of those would be great picks Um, and letting kids pick different books, but then talking about those issues more generally, I think could be really powerful Mm -hmm. um, and open up some really great and important discussion um, about it. And you talking about this made me think of um, the girls at 17 Swan Street as Mm -hmm. phenomenal. Um, That's Yara... Zeb is, I think her last name is um, Z-G-H-E-I-B. And that is phenomenal. Um, But I think, and I think that kids could read that one too, but Laurie Halsey Anderson speaks to teenagers Mm -hmm. and like the the girls, the key girls in there are teenagers, whereas um, Anna in um, the girls at 17 Swan Street is like 26 Mm -hmm. um, in it. But I think, I mean, lays, you know, that one also like lays, bear um what it is like to try to recover because Mm -hmm. I think that like you said that like that is something that um can be powerful in those discussions is like how do you recover from addiction and what does it look like and um why do people so often relapse from various addictions and there's a lot of reasons for all of that Mm -hmm. and I think anything that um kids can do to be more aware of that helps them make their choices but also helps them have some compassion for the people they undoubtedly know in their lives who have suffered Mm -hmm. from addiction so um, yeah, I think that that's, those are all really interesting thoughts. And I mean, going back to what you said about seeing Laura Halls Anderson, I mean, I just think we cannot do enough to have these conversations yeah. with our kids. And so finding a way to open those doors as educators is essential. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, amazing books like Hey Kiddo do that and mm-hmm. open those doors. Um, and then it'd be nice to pull in some passages from something mm-hmm. like Dope Sick, um, that then you could talk about the facts and figures without that being the driving narrative, mm-hmm. um, for discussion, but being able to help illuminate, um, where we are in America with some of those topics. So, mm-hmm. and with Hey Kiddo, it's so, it's short enough that you could do it very easily yeah. in a mm-hmm. few class periods. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I think it's hard to find graphic novels that have the depth that, that Hey yeah, Kiddo has yeah. that you can actually do in class, but this one does, so. I think yeah. So. Yeah, I, I would also teach Hey Kiddo at the high school level. And I said earlier, I was contemplating giving it to my 11-year-old, and I've decided I want him to be a little older. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think a middle school kid could read it. Mm-hmm. I just think you need to know your audience um, dope sick. I used to do a lot of nonfiction lit circles, especially with my seniors when I taught dual enrollment English. And I think dope sick would be a great addition. I don't think every kid is ready 
I mean, that is an in-depth look, again, at systemic forces Mm -hmm. that cause that industry. And so I think some of that is going to be hard for some students to conceptualize. Mm -hmm. I do think Beth Macy makes it very readable. So I would certainly offer it as a choice. I don't know that I would teach it whole class. Mm -hmm. Although, as Ashley, you said you could do excerpts Mm -hmm. paired with something else. Um, but I I would find that one a tough one to teach whole class. I and think. that's a good point. I mean, like AP Lit, AP Lang, yeah. is a good fit for a for a class like that, mm-hmm. um, where kids could use it as a foundation for research right. and then do their own work as well and position themselves and make an argument. I think I mean, there's a lot um, that could be done there. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today to talk about dope sick and hey kiddo. Um, and we are going to be back. Um, in the near future with some more information and our, our reactions to what we got to see at um, the Virginia Festival Festival of the Books because we just couldn't pack it all in here. <laughs> um, but thank you for listening. And a reminder, please go to um, Apple Podcast, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast because that helps us so much. Mm-hmm. Thanks again for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We would love to hear them. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, on Instagram and Twitter at UnabridgedPod, or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com, or on our Patreon page. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light. Many thanks to Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer, and Tim Rieger, our videographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We would love to hear them. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, on Instagram and Twitter at UnabridgedPod, or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com, or on our Patreon page. 
We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light. Many thanks to Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer, and Tim Rieger, our videographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. 